This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 117, about Defenders Season 1, Episode 5, Take Shelter. You think I'm holding back? Welcome back, fellow Defenders. This is Episode 5 of the first season of The Defenders, uh, take shelter. I am one of your hosts, John. I'm one of your other hosts, Chris. And I'm your final host, Derek. Yeah, we have um, the hand teaming up their own little moment here uh, at the Royal Dragon as the fight continues. Yes, um, but also the podcasting continues. So please uh, head on over to DefendersTVPodcast.com forward slash iTunes and please subscribe over on Apple Podcasts, or you can just search Defenders TV Podcast on any other good or evil podcast catcher. And as well, we are all on Facebook uh, at the moment, commenting, discussing within our Facebook group. If you would like to join that group, please head on over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV Podcasts. But if you want to send in any thoughts or discussion on this episode of The Defenders Take Shelter, please you can send emails at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com or leave a voicemail over on our website at defenderstvpodcast.com. Click on the right-hand side tab and you can leave up to 90 seconds of voicemail. Mm -hmm. Share our thoughts and we will bring them to this podcast in our feedback section. But I think with that... Derek, what are some of the episode details? Absolutely, yeah. This episode was again written by Lauren Smith-Hizrath, Marco Ramirez, and Doug Petrie. They've been involved in each and every episode so far this season, so you can really see the guiding hand involved in the show. It's really good. Yeah, it really links up uh, really well, doesn't it, Uh, with this consistency of of writers pulling through from the episodes they've previously written on. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, really good. And Um, one one of the big criticisms probably for Iron Fist really was that there wasn't a consistent hand throughout the show. It really feels like uh, this is a show that is that is from one central group of people. It's really cool. Yeah, what we're seeing here is what you see across comic books. Mm-hmm. Um, there's consistency, there's a continuity across uh, every action that's taking place. Um, especially when we what we see is not just the the defenders and the hand pulling together and they're as a team. We see the supporting characters as well. Yeah, and it seems that the supporting characters that each of these. Um, writers have dealt with previously uh, are handled greatly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, this episode was directed by Uta Breiswitz. Uh, she has done two other episodes uh, for the Defender series as a whole. She's worked on Iron Fist with Underleaf Pluck Lotus and on Jessica Jones with AKA I've Got the Blues. Great to see another one of our uh, Defenders directors back. Definitely. Everyone getting involved um, from the past series of the Defenders mm-hmm. in, in this um series now which is really really cool as well everyone um if you want to get your hands or have the chance to get your hands on some defenders goodies we are holding a competition uh you remember the feedback stuff we talked about if you send in feedback well then you are in with a chance to win a bunch of defenders related goodies uh in our prize draw on our last episode of defenders yep send in your feedback and we'll include you in our prize draw at the end of the series john do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for this episode sure 
As Alexandra and Electra keep the defenders busy, the other fingers of the hand prepare for war. Matt takes an opportunity to speak to the Black Sky and drives her from the battle by revealing he knows who she is. Meanwhile, after battling with the factions, Luke captures Soande. He reveals that they will do anything to get the Iron Fist and threaten those they love. The defenders start to bring those they care about under the protection of Misty Knight at the NYPD, just as the Hand try to locate the Immortal Iron Fist after the Battle of the Royal Dragon. But despite their coordinated response, cracks begin to appear between the fingers of the Hand, as Murakami reports a dangerous turn of events, that Daredevil, the last one to have loved the vessel known as Electra Natrios, has joined with Danny Rand. Gao, Murakami, and Bakuto question Alexandra's unilateral actions to resurrect the Black Sky and pledge to form another plan to return to Kunlun without their weapon. Meanwhile, as Daredevil interrogates Sawande about the Hand's plan and Electra, he manages to escape his bonds, holding the Iron Fist at knife point, until Stick uses his skills in Katana to slice off Sawande's head. The Black Sky grappling with her encounter with Matt Murdock has slipped Alexandra and has now made her way to a very familiar apartment in Hell's Kitchen. So we see the kind of formation of the hand together in this episode. We got a lot last episode from Alexandra about how when they get together, they uh, they can be a, a formidable force. In this episode, we see all the cracks starting to form. Not only do we have uh, Madame Gao and Murakami, uh, and Bakuto questioning Alexandra. We also have Madame Gao questioning Bakuto's motives and what he's in this for. Uh, so I think that's really cool in this episode. Yeah, I mean, Gao and Bakuto certainly have their history from the Iron Fist series, mm-hmm. uh, where he actually held her um, as a prisoner at, at one point. So, yeah, it, it's a really interesting thing. I was wondering how that would be sort of looked at and covered within this. Um, they do do that. It's quite short, but... Nonetheless, they do tackle it. But um, yeah, that is interesting um, mm-hmm. because we did wonder on Iron Fist whether Gao was really um, a, maybe a different faction of the Hand, uh, let alone one of the Five Fingers. Um, but as you are aware, hopefully by now, or if you're not, if you're new to the Defenders TV podcast, we cover uh, the episode with our top five points. And just so you know, it will be spoiler-filled from here on in. So, Derek? I think it's been pretty spoiler-filled so far. <laughs> well, that's true. Well, more spoiler-filled. Probably, yeah. <laughs> yes, our first point uh, is about the preparations for war. I love this opening scene to the uh, classical music as Madame Gao gets her sword-wielding ninjas together Um Sawande gets his gun-toting maniacs together in the back of the van that we saw at the end of last episode. And then Murakami starts just walking across the roofs of the city of, uh, of, uh, of New York to get to um, the Royal, Royal Dragon um, restaurant to go after the Defenders. I love this kind of setup. I love this moment. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, and it also seems slightly of sorts, out of sorts, I should say, that Murakami doesn't have uh, a legion behind him either. We got the sense from Alexander that this is he is a force to be reckoned with when he comes out of the shadows oh yeah and that he usually sends Nobu and but when he comes out he comes out kind of and is a force we see that in this episode that he doesn't need an army of gun-toting 
lunatics or uh, sword wielding ninjas. Mm-hmm. He is the weapon. He he's is just, his own henchman. He's just that badass. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Like I, I love this with the the classical music playing in the background. Uh, seeing Madame Gao, Sawande, and Murakami uh, coming together, it was just really, really cool. And I mean, the the scene as Murakami comes crashing through the skylight into the Royal Dragon restaurant, down onto the table, whilst Electra is fighting uh, the defenders and Stick. Like, that was really, really cool. Gao and Murakami, I think I'm, yeah. So we have the formation of Team Hand here, really, and we have uh, Team Defenders. So this is really cool, this kind of face-off coming here. And, of course, later on in the episode, we get to see the return of Bakuto as well. Um, Colleen Wing's former sensei uh, is back here with a vengeance, um, resurrected from the dead. So, yeah. Unfortunately, the good news that Stick talked about uh, in last episode, uh, that he's dead, um, unfortunately, has crumbled to ashes here. Yeah, doesn't last long. Doesn't last long at all. I love as the battle is raging on in uh, in the Royal Dragon, you have um, you have Jessica Jones and Luke Cage going up against Electra. Again, someone that they generally wouldn't fight. They generally don't go up against people that have... How, that no kung fu, I suppose. Um, so I just like uh, Luke Cage kind of shouting out, "She's so annoying, isn't she?" Where <laughs> um, the two of them yeah. are fighting. It's one of the things we don't really see with Luke. He's he's very much obviously called a bulletproof character, so we don't see him fight against people with swords very often. And in this, we don't see him really get struck with a sword at all. I'm wondering if his skin being unbreakable should it not break the swords that are that are hitting him. But they haven't really used an opportunity to to see him be poked with a sword. He blocks um, the sword from Electra once and knocks it out of her hand uh, because of his strength. But we don't see him actually getting hit with it in the stomach or anything like that. You know? And it just sort of shattering. shattering. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You would think that would definitely happen. Yeah, I mean, this this battle when they come in, so one day comes all guns blazing. So cool. um, and I love Gao just taking out a gun and shooting one of his men and saying, we want this guy alive in, in reference to the, the Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. I also like Iron Fist trying to protect... Um, Jessica, who really is kind of pretty short with him, with like you know, get off me, leave me alone. Um, so that was brilliant. Man. Yeah, really, uh, really cool. But yeah, the the fighting here in the Royal Dragon is is phenomenal. It's really well choreographed. Um, I absolutely love it. It was really interesting to see that we get most of the the fighting done by majority of the characters, and what I, I enjoyed what I saw. It was fantastic. It was, as John said, well choreographed. Yeah. Um, but I found it strange that, one, we saw Alexandria kind of walk off, slink off into the corner. Mm-hmm. So the, obviously she's not prepared to fight um, or not well enough to fight, question mark. Maybe, maybe. Um, but more that Matt, like I was expecting this was the 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 showdown between Matt and Electra I wanted and they slunk off. They slunk off to the corner as well, out of shot, out of this. Because I was hoping to see, uh, like, Electric kill some of the own henchmen, right? Just to get Ad Matt and the rest of them. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. That kind of moves us on to the, the the second point, which is that Matt 
is continuously trying to reason with Electra throughout this episode. Yeah, yeah, and it does it does start out with effectively Electra kicking him out the out the back door of the place. He keeps punching him down another hallway. So uh, as he's trying to reason with her, trying to have a moment with Electra uh, or what he thinks is Electra and is actually Black Sky, um, they have a proper battle as they go out. It was, it's really cool. I love the outdoor battle where where um, Matt is besting her in some senses and she's she's taking back out her power on him that she has. So um, so they're fighting for the first time with her with their new powers. It's quite cool. Yeah, I mean, I actually think that Matt Murdock, he is the first one to attack as they get enclosed by, by a ring of uh, henchmen. Mm-hmm. He's the first one to attack and he kind of knocks two out of the way and goes straight for Electra, forcing her down that way. I think you see yeah. Stick really saying or trying to come out and say, you know, Matt, what are you doing? Um, but yeah, I, I love that scene where he, they're fighting, but he's trying to restrict her movement and her fighting so he can actually talk to her. Um, and it seems as though it's only when he mentions a lecture that he gets through to her. It reminds me of a film where they've done that, and I can't quite recall it at this stage. But yeah, that whole like that stop and start uh, of of fighting, you know. But the interesting thing here, and this is where uh, Murakami's uh, suspicions then begin to build, and I suppose will have ramifications later in this episode. It is where he comes out. He thinks she is protecting her kill, and um, as he comes out, and she punches him against one of the wheelie bins. Yeah, uh, but in fact, um, she then just heads off uh, and uh, escapes. Yeah, 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 leaving the battle. It's very interesting. I love that, that he just kind of turns that on Alexandra again. He says, uh, as Madame Gao arrives outside, he says, um, this is a question for our leader, why Electra isn't here, effectively. So um, so quite interesting. He's, he seems to be also twisting it towards uh, to, to usurping the leader, Alexandra, as well. It's quite cool. Yeah, and Gao with the old... Uh ninja punch as well yeah we didn't mention it last episode as Electra arrived at, at um, the Royal Garden she pushes the door and the barrier barricade that Jessica Jones had put up she pushes it every way with some form of power uh, and this episode we see Madame Gao do the same kind of thing so Electra is definitely more superpowered than she was in in Daredevil season two no it, it was it was an interesting thing as you said the last episode we didn't mention that it was actually only after he kind of went off air and myself and Derek were going, oh yeah, yeah, she blew that door up pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not the first time we've seen Man Gao, though, kind of do that, uh, the palm punch that blows people people and doors away. Um, we also know that uh, all chi-wielding um, martial artists in the Marvel Universe just hate doors. That's true, yes. Yeah, doors are enemy number one in this universe. And they wear of iron fist without a doubt, definitely. And um, Jessica Jones. Yeah, yes, true. That door is well. That door is abused. I think. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, I do like that. It's that it's the mention of the name Electra to her that stops her uh, in her tracks. That stops Black Sky in her tracks, and she effectively runs away to ponder the question from then on. So, um, so this threat from Alexandra to Electra is quite interesting. Uh, when they do catch up with her later, um, where she's effectively sharpening her swords back in the hand's base. Is that the most unnerving thing you can see somebody do when you arrive into a room, especially somebody trained with a sword, to arrive into their room and they're just sharpening the swords as you arrive in? You know, again, Alexandra is a very strong, tough woman who doesn't seem to be unnerved very easily, so maybe she's not unnerved by it. But if I walked in and I had something very important to say to someone, 
I'd do what Alexandra did and just take the sword away if I possibly could. <laughs> Again, she didn't seem that unnerved by it because yeah. she, you know, she really then um, threatens uh, Electra here by saying, if you aren't a weapon against our enemies, you are useless to the hand and to me. Mm-hmm. And I suspect by implication of that, she would um, tr- kill the black sky. Um, or dispose of it in some way. Um, and I thought that's really interesting because it, it seemed to contrast with her slinking out of the Royal Dragon. Like, there's that really nice moment where her um, she's in the back of the car and the window goes down. And there is the look that Sigourney Weaver does. It, it's almost one of, you know, this hasn't gone the way I was yeah. expecting. And it's like she is knows or it has some kind of sense that Electra has left the the field of battle type of thing here. Um, so that was kind of really interesting. Mm-hmm. But do you reckon there is a uh, Mutant Ninja Turtle uh, reference here? <laughs> Hundred percent, hundred percent. The stick, a splinter, uh, kind of cha- charging his four charges down to the sewer to hide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely. absolutely. That's definitely a reference to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, definitely kind of kind of cool. Um, so yeah, as the battle battle rages on uh, outside the Royal Dragon, we do see that Sawande goes up against uh, Luke. We definitely see him try and use that move that um, that Alexandra had talked about in the last episode, where. Uh, where he tries punching him in various locations, and he seems to be getting a little bit successful with Luke. Luke, Luke doesn't seem to be um, does seem to be taken off the board a little bit until they get outside, and then it's only a garbage truck smacking into Luke that uh, that takes him out of the fight. Yeah, yeah. I actually really wished that that move had worked on Luke. I think the one thing for me is that I'm loving all these fights. I really want the element of danger for one of our four Mm. like at the moment i'm kind of there going oh no if someone dies here it's going to be stick he's going to be you know he's the last remaining member of of the the chaste and and i think obviously the hander after danny ran so yes he is in danger Mm -hmm. um but i really want to see um some proper danger element to one of the the four and i thought that could have been a really nice way uh, just because so andy comes out of there and he says you know you, you you're said to be the unbreakable man we will see yeah i will break you or something to that effect and i would have loved to have seen it's a bit like with the the bullet uh that that luke cage got were judas bullet yeah. yeah the judas bullet that really you know it, it just added a bit of uncertainty to how invincible he was and i think that that idea that he would have done that that heart slowing move and the heart begins to slow on luke um and you know it's in danger of going into cardiac arrest that would have really raised the stakes here that you know the hand could take these people out whereas i think that needs to be some element, certainly moving forward. I definitely like the idea of something mystical being used on Luke because he's impenetrable to bullets, that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, I liked a, a truck taking him out was quite interesting. And when he arrives back into the Colleen's dojo uh, later on and everybody asks how he is and he says, I'm really well, actually. I'm, I'm very good. I was kind of going, 
is he just going, well, now I know that trucks running me over can't kill me? Is that Because <laughs> he just had this moment of realization and now he's going, I'm pretty good, actually. I'm not just the bulletproof guy. I'm the guy that trucks can run over and I'll be okay. Yeah. yeah. But it's not. It's the fact that he has, he has captured Sawande. Yeah, point three uh, is Sawande is captured by Luke. And I should say is pretty proud that he's... Uh, He's managed to capture one of the hand. But, yeah, Sawande as a character, like, is very, very cool. Um, I loved, a bit like when Gao was being interrogated by the Iron Fist, where she really just, you know, takes it and swaps the, the, the power play there within that interrogation. We have the same here being uh, attempted by Sawande, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Sarwanda is really terrifying in this scene. I'm really liking this actor in, in this role. I love how he's kind of calling out each of the defenders for their failures. You know, he's he's saying um, he doesn't want Danny Rand. He wants the Iron Fist. He says he's the stupidest Iron Fist yet. Why would they want Danny Rand who failed the city that he was sworn to protect? Which is obviously Danny's big kind of his big weakness at the moment. He calls out Luke Cage for not protecting the kid that he was trying to protect from Harlem. Um that he dies in prison under his watch. And then he calls out um, Jessica for allowing the architect to die when he came to her office. What kind of heroes are these people if all the people that they are sworn to protect or they want to protect die in their charge? Yeah, I mean, so only really riles up uh, Jessica here, um, you know, because he goes, am I getting into your head like he did? Obviously, for, with that reference to Kilgrave. Yeah. Um, and then really proceeds to threaten all their closest uh, loved ones and the people they care about. So, yeah, he's really good. And I mean, even just like his supreme confidence it, it is shown again where it's just him and Stick left alone, where so Andy... Uh, talks about members of the chase capturing him uh, many years ago before Stick was even born and how by the end of it they were on their knees asking for the torture of of a siege around a a castle or a fort to stop. Uh, So really um, he has much power, much longevity uh, and he's very, very cool character uh, and really uh, well acted as well. Love it. Um, Although you probably shouldn't like these people, Derek, because Sawande, yeah, off with his head. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, so with Suwanda, actually, as you said, this actor, is he, he's fantastic. And I know he's done a stint in Gotham for an episode. Yep. He was in The Night Of again for an episode. He's always been a more kind of an in-and-out terrifying kind of character. Yeah. Um, or kind of actor, I should say. Um, but he, he's been in a lot of other things. And I think this, across these four episodes that he's been in, um, he's his presence has always been felt, um, but now we know that yeah, it's not just the from a a martial arts kind of perspective. He is a also a skilled well, I don't know what to say counter um, interrogation <laughs> specialist. Well, it's just his voice is amazing. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It's like uh, he was sitting there being interrogated, mm-hmm. yet managed to get them wild up, whereas he was calm and, yeah, it was just... Exactly. So, so cool. And we do get that awesome scene when Daredevil's back in his suit 
uh, using the billy clubs around Sawando's neck, trying to get the information from him. Daredevil does go pretty far there. Um, I love Danny looking at them going, these are so cool. Yeah. And Luke not wanting to admit that he thinks they're cool as well in front of Danny, just just because... Luke's too cool. Luke's too cool, exactly. He doesn't want to think that Matt's even cooler than him, you know? Uh, very cool. But then Sawando breaking free and grabbing Danny by uh, by the back of the neck with... Um, with his with a knife to it or with a bit of glass to his neck saying he's gonna kill him yeah yeah it says the war is won we have the iron fist and and then uh a nobu happens on him uh, yes. he gets uh his head sliced off by stick uh i, I thought the scene was great I, to begin with i just thought he'd slit his his throat really and then he falls to his knees and the head decides it's a bowling ball or something and goes scuttling across the 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 floor uh really like stick is is brutal but he will get the job done and he is certainly not shy in using force uh, because it's even just seeing jessica's reaction to it you know it's like uh, like at the end of the day jessica luke certainly um have not seen this kind of of physical violence and headings you know uh luke maybe has you know has seen it but this is almost you know a war so people are dying frequently and i think um even just the interrogation aspect probably may have felt uncomfortable uh for some of the defenders certainly as daredevil slightly over eggs the pudding there really with suande especially when he starts to get to um matt's sensitive topic of electra yeah, yeah, definitely. Jessica's seen quite a few people um, kill themselves with guns to the head uh, since the first season of Jessica Jones. has at least been three, as far as I remember. So um, so she's seen, definitely seen a lot of blood, but beheadings is definitely something that's been confined to Iron Fist and Daredevil season one and two. Absolutely. I think it's more, I suppose what I'm trying to say, it's more that it's by people on their side yeah, yeah. Um, doing this. And that probably is a slight difference for for them it's normally been the people they're fighting against doing it to other people yeah or, or forcing other people down down that route mm-hmm. well following on from Swanda's threat to the loved ones we get the kind of gathering of all of the, the loved ones in the NYPD under the site of Misty Knight so yeah Simone Missick is back in all her um what would we call it afro goodness i think it's uh, as close to an afro as we're gonna get for, yes for misty knight definitely it's pretty cool and the hairstyle is fantastic very comic book counterpart kind of style mm-hmm. um and yeah she kind of had the nice jab at luke going are we on the same side on this um luke going come on we're always on the same side you don't need to ask that which i thought did take her back and that's kind of made her agree to this. What do we? What would we call it? Conclave of supporting characters. It's very cool <laughs> to have them all in the same location. There's a couple of other things that go on in the episode, and we'll probably talk about those. But just simply having these characters like Colleen Wing, Foggy uh, Nelson, Karen Page. Um, Malcolm Ducasse, all in the same room with Trish Walker and Misty Knight, having them all in the same location and knowing that they're going to be there next episode when we come back to the to the next time that we see all these characters. It's just great to have all these people from all the different series that, you know, have never worked together before, all being in the same location. There's a great moment when Misty Knight walks into the room and says, uh, the reason you're all here is because you're persons of interest to people who are involved in a big fight. 
and you see three of the workers that are in the middle of the room typing on their keyboards <laughs> yeah. going does she mean us <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, that's cool yeah i mean i love when jessica goes to get trish and murakami is there together and that's where we we see daredevil for the first time in this episode where he's matt has put back on the suit um and yeah i love the moment where he is kicked pushed uh thrown over the edge of the balcony there they go down he's disappeared yet there's the guy with i think he was holding orange juice kind of like what just happened yeah. something happened at, like so you know that he was there but did he land on his feet and run off? Like, it was very, very cool, that. Um, and even just having Colleen and Bakuto uh, coming back face-to-face as well was really awesome. Yeah, the the scene where we, we, we saw the guy fl- being flipped off the corner, I just had this vision of this, like, Daredevil. Oh, he's going to do a superhero landing! Uh, superhero yeah. landing! <laughs> and he yeah. just kind of... Or he did that kind of... Like, you know, mid-air, twisting, twirling, flipping, yeah. landing, but walking away. Like yes. He didn't even, like, land onto his knees, kind of, into a crouch. He just started, like, striding as he was falling and continued to walk. I'm genuinely wondering now, is this a power that the resurrected member of the Hand have? Like, some form of teleportation power that we're not being shown? Because we did mention it the first time we saw Electra. We went, oh, she disappeared at the bottom of the stairs. We mentioned Alexandra disappearing in a scene we've now got Murakami disappearing from a scene Bakuto does it as well Luke is staring at him we have the camera focused on uh, on Danny and on Colleen and on Claire and he disappears within the blink of an eye and Bakuto as well so um is this some power that we're just not seeing on the show? Are we missing that they're actually showing us the superpower here that these guys all have? Because they've definitely all had a moment of disappearance. No, they're just trained by Batman. They must be. Yeah, must it's be. a definite Batman move. <laughs> uh, but speaking of Colin, Colleen and Bakuto, uh, interesting to see the two of them back. I love the, the way the fight scene played out between the two of them was really cool because last time it was sword versus sword. This time Bakuto was just dodging her blade. Um, and it's a cool little, a cool extra version of a fight scene, something different than we saw throughout Iron Fist. Um, it's not sword on sword. It's it it just looks really cool. It's really interesting to see him. It's almost like a defensive master move that he's that he's got now against Colleen. It's it's not trying to attack her and not trying to kill her. He's trying to have a conversation, but she's trying to kill him. Uh, he kind of says, "Whenever you're done with this, I want to talk with you." You know, he's not scared of. Colleen's fighting skills. Yeah, well, definitely Bakuto here is really um, probably breaking orders. Um, like, he's called out by Gao later on in the episode because he wants to try, I presume it's genuine, to get um, his previous student back with him. Uh, we hear that his his ruse in Iron Fist to say that she wasn't good enough for the hand was simply that, yeah. um, to try and put her off her fighting, but that he does actually have a huge amount of respect for Colleen Wing's abilities. I think it was an interesting little call out between his followers and Gao's followers that they have where, when they meet up, uh, where... Gao is kind of saying you've always had a, a a thing and a weakness by by respecting your followers or ultimately and he says yes I don't feel the need to blind mine um and really nice because in Daredevil season one all Gao's workers are are blinded yeah. other than some of her main henchmen yeah and um, whilst they're doing the drug running and the drug packing yeah 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 very cool and we also get 
in this, keep it on Colleen, definitely, because she gets some great moments in here. Um, we have the moment where she explains, I suppose, why she went for Danny Rand uh, earlier on in the episode, where she feels like she's just lost stability by losing out and leaving the hand, uh, which was the right thing to do, and she knows it, um, but she feels like she's lost the stability in her life. Uh, and I love that Claire is telling her, well, without your help, Danny wouldn't be able to do any of this. I look around at everybody, and I see that you're involved in them all you know i really like that moment with claire where they get a minute to just sit back and kind of talk about what's going on in colleen's life because she's not a member of the defenders danny's going out off and finding a new group of people even though she's been so supportive of him over the last four or five months while he's been searching out the hand um so it is quite interesting that that she's now kind of starting to break apart and now forming new relationships with new people Herself and Claire were pretty close in Iron Fist, and you can see it throughout the season. And she's now found another new friend in Defenders. We've got a little bit of Misty and Colleen moments yeah, here. Yeah, little proto-Daughters uh, of the Dragon uh, meeting up here. That was very cool. I like that. Um, whether a police officer or a police detective should be handing back a dangerous uh, sharpened katana uh, back like that um, without a license, I don't know. I'd say she's licensed. She owns her own dojo. That is true. That is true. Still, it was also as well because, again, Colleen, hospital or a police department? Hospital or police department? She's got the night nurse with her. I know, I know. (laughs) There was just small things that I I kind of picked up, like the one that you have with regards to uh, Luke going to Claire Temple's apartment. Yeah, it's only a small thing, really. It's just when Luke goes back to get Claire Temple and changes his shirt, puts on his new T-shirt, and another one of those hoodies. How many (laughs) does he have? I remember kind of looking at the trailer for, for the Defenders and seeing that Luke was wearing exactly the same hoodie. His costume, effectively, from the Luke Cage series. But this time, he it had no bullet holes in it. And I was kind of going, okay, so he does have a brand new one that he obviously got when he came out of prison. That's not particularly mentioned. But this time, he goes back fully bullet hole-ridden hoodie. And then he goes in, reaches into the wardrobe, pulls out another one, sticks it on, and it's exactly the same as the last one. It doesn't even have a different colour. It's it's definitely his costume now. So an interesting an interesting um, moment, I suppose, especially because he was just called out last episode by Jessica saying, call me when they make you put on a costume. And he's already got one, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's kind of made his own costume, really. Kind of like Kick-Ass or something. You know? Yeah, when he opens his wardrobe, there are just a row of hoodies. <laughs> must be, must be. We also get to see um, Daredevil go to uh, get Karen. And again, like, that relationship is not in a good place. Like, she is really... N- she doesn't appreciate him coming here and saying, I need to save you. It's like, that's not your call to make. Um, you know, but Matt is still making this call. Um, and, you know, that he's still getting into to trouble. Yet, when he tells her, it's like she wants him to say, yes, I am doing this. And as soon as he is upfront and honest with her about what he is doing, she is actually willing to accept it. But before that she hates him coming and saying i need to do this for you you and you because she's like that's not what you should be doing yes it's it's the decision for me to make and it's when he tells her what he's doing that she's happy to go can i just call out something here yep so one threatens the loved ones of the defenders around him but he only calls out the nurse and the woman who talks on the radio 
He never calls out any of Matt's connections at all. <laughs> Yet Matt goes straight to Karen and involves her in this. Now, okay, he's had a bit of a leap there. That their lives are also threatened like the rest of the defenders are. But it is a bit of a leap. He hasn't talked to any of them in six months. Do all of the hand members know about all of the people connected to him? Or has he just put them in even more danger by putting them all in the same location together? Yeah, so that was my bit. So the the danger is they're putting them into a single location, mm-hmm. which <laughs> like are, is not that secure to have members of the hand. Mm-hmm. And also, do they know Matt's identity? I completely agree. That is premised on whether the hand know that Matt is the devil of Hell's Kitchen yeah. or not. And I'm not too sure that they do. I don't think they do. Uh, no. And so if Matt isn't careful, he is going to reveal his identity by having people there that they can then begin to trace. And the thing is, we know how the hand was infiltrated into the hospital uh, in Iron Fist with one of Bakuto's students. Um, so the idea that the hand wouldn't have people, you know, at the precinct level in the NYPD. So... They're probably just got the list of names, you would think. Maybe. I suspect it's not going to play out like that, but and yeah. The, and remember, this is Misty's new special team that she's got. So um, so this this is not just an NYPD department. They all work for Misty on a special task force as well. So maybe she handpicked them. Possibly there's nobody in there that's from the hand, but I do get the point there. <laughs> but there's also, you've just done it in front of Trish, who is uh-huh. questioning why is there a reporter here? Uh, an investigative reporter seeing another inve- investigative reporter. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, this is not going to go well. <laughs> it's not. But at least it gets them all in the same room. I understand why, they, why the impetus is there from the writer's point of view. Definitely. But it did, it did make me question why Matt would do it. I think it was kind of a, why don't you get out of town, Karen, and take Foggy with you, rather than, why don't you all go to the same police station with all of the other people so we can trace you all together? Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, it's really interesting. But one of the other grouping that finally gets together, although minus Sawande, uh-huh. uh, and this leads us on to our fifth point, is the hand's plan is revealed um, that as to why they need the Iron Fist uh, and primarily the Chi within him. And that is so that they can find their way back to Kunlun, mm. um, or they will all die. But the interesting thing here is Gao actually calls out Alexandra by saying, you always wanted the substance so that you could live forever. We wanted it so that we could get back to Kunlun. So there's a slight difference in objectives, at least being called out by Gao here, as to why they're going for the Iron Fist. And I think ultimately... This chi um, is the substance that helps them uh, get resurrected as well, I think. Because we have Bakuto calling out here, this is the first time in a long time, because you've used the substance to bring the black sky back, um, that brings resurrects us, um, and this is the first time where we're without, and we are in danger. And sure enough, uh, Murakami steps up to the plate to say we need to think of another plan so it all kind of breaks down a bit for alexandra especially when she goes back to her own house and finds that electra is gone yeah yeah this was really interesting for me um i've been just kind of speculating on on air and kind of 
with the guys here kind of what is the master plan what is the thing that keeps them alive for years and is it the chi is it the substance is it kung lung in general that kind of kind of aids them um it's just a question i'm I'm trying to kind of piece it together like is the 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 giant hole a portal to kung lung where they can get a lazarus pit of chi which they take and they ingest and that kind of keeps them alive forever it was just very it was an interesting kind of and they stole whatever the substance was from kung lung originally see that yeah that's the that's the bit that confuses it for me i suppose um this makes it feel like the story of the banishment of the devils from heaven um, that effectively they're trying to get back to heaven. So they're trying to get back to Kunlun and that's where they'll be able to live forever. Like everybody in Kunlun, it's a, it's a mystical city. It, it leaves the earth plane. It doesn't work in the same time as, uh, as normal earthbound places do, I guess. Um, what they're saying is they want to get back to there. And what I think what Madame Gao is calling out is, they want to live long enough to get back there and then they can live forever. That's what yeah. it seems like. It doesn't feel like they, they want to get back there to take the chi and come back out into the world again. It feels like they're all trying to get back there. They make mention of, do you remember how beautiful it is? Do you remember how wonderful the place is? Which is almost like the kind of conversation that Satan and Lucifer and the devils would have with each other about getting back into heaven from hell. Uh, it's like Earth, the Earth realm is a hell place for these five people and that's what they've been trying to do is always m- work their way back into where they were banished okay from. yeah so the substance keeps them alive on earth yeah but the chi of the iron fist will help get them back to Kunlun, or at least they need his chi to break down this door exactly yeah, yeah. that's that's kind of my feeling uh, and it feels like by alexandra making the bet on black sky being the one to get them back to Kunlun, they've now taken away the opportunity they could have if this plan fails they can do this another time in another hundred years or something like yeah. that because she's used it all up to bring back Electra, a new person uh, outside of their original five. Uh, she's used it all up, so this is the last chance to get back home. Yeah, and there's but there's very much a suggestion from the other three that you you know Alexandra, as their leader, acted on her own um, and now is speaking in the singular about herself and what she wants. Yeah, and all the other three point out. There are five members of the hand, and um, so there were five or there were the five members of the hand. I don't. All they know he's been. All they know at this stage is that he's been captured. That's right. They don't even know he's been captured. They just know he's missing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that he's missing. So, um, they really are sort of calling it out that there are five members of the hand and they all act together for a, a single cause. And so Gao's sort of initiation of that conversation is that Alexandra always had a different reason as to why this was happening so that she could live forever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just think it's a really interesting scene. I love having these characters together in a room. I think jokingly, you mentioned last episode, Chris, about wouldn't it be terrible if you had all these these heads of the hand around a big table in a room? Uh, wouldn't that be so tropey? I think it's great to have it in this episode, though, after we've got to meet them all separately. Now having them all sitting around in a room discussing their big master plan is a great moment. Really well, see, the thing is they weren't just kind of like sitting in a shadowed room, kind of. Like yeah. They were standing and kind of still arguing. So it wasn't, yes, 
the trope was there, but it wasn't the usual trope. Exactly, exactly. That was really cool to see them all together. That's kind of the top five points, but there's obviously just a moment at the end of the episode with Electra as she has left Alexandra and is going back to Daredevil's um, Daredevil's place. It's kind of cool. I think that's I think when she where she goes to to begin with is the rooftop where she died. Yeah, because you've got the dome there, which seemed very familiar to me uh, from the Daredevil series. Um, so yeah, and then she heads back to and gets into Matt's uh, apartment, uh, yeah. which is really cool because you do get this sense that she's just kind of drinking in probably the memories that she uh, are, are flooding back or that she's beginning at least to recognize uh, this apartment and certainly as she curls up on the bed and you know she she remembers the good times had the well where she nursed matt back from the point of death wasn't it <laughs> on in, in that bed yeah um, and other things can i just say that the production design has done a brilliant job with the apartment here i think when we saw the apartment in season one they do a little explanation for why it's so cheap for matt because well he's blind and there's neon signs outside the window all the time so nobody else wants the place what i do like about it is the place looks like crap really in this episode what we see is loads of uh, loads of crumbling on the wall the wall the paint is all peeling off clearly there's been so many of those windows smashed and replaced that nothing matches each other um and I think there's a where the column um, leads to the roof. There's a crack all the way down the wall as well. So it does look like a place that Matt's going to be able to afford as a pro bono lawyer in New York. It looks like that kind of place. And the other reason why it's also cheap is because of the neon. It's not. It's not the greatest place to live, and it's got some neon outside. The place itself is a bit of a, a bit of a shitty place. Well, we always remember like the, the the place took damage over the last kind of 48 hours from the earthquake as well so true. that's why i'm assuming the cracks were very true yeah, very true could also be the earthquake and um, probably doesn't explain having the paint cracking on the wall but no, no <laughs> but a huge that's, crack that's, in that's, the wall. Yeah. that's just the other part of it yeah. your point <laughs> true um any other notes about the episode nothing from my side um pretty much it's not very easter eggy the series so far um I, i'm supposed to they're kind of holding everything over for kind of the the main characters arcs yeah um i think there's a lot more easter eggs to do with the defender series themselves um like that that scene there with electra if you hadn't seen daredevil season two you kind of know that she's back in matt's apartment you'd get that but you don't know why it means so much to her and why uh, why she's particularly having those moments standing on the top of the rooftop or why she's going into the into the bedroom and feeling so safe and secure there why she would seek out that apartment you kind of get it but you wouldn't get it if you didn't watch the previous season so that's the kind of easter eggs i think they're doing with the show yeah and uh, not just like say gladiator in season one of daredevil exactly yeah 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 so chris do you defend this episode of the defenders yeah um uh, this each of these episodes have given me something new to like and enjoy um, this was a terrific battle kind of episode but also from that we start to see the hands plan i suppose it's getting to see again the supporting characters that we've always enjoyed um that for me was a, a kind of fantastic kind of well put them all in one place it's, we know something's gonna go wrong now but colleen has a sword again it's fine yeah. it's all good and misty has her guns um but the most important kind of 
the, the standout scenes um, for me on this episode was one day mm-hmm. and kind of his capture and his th- th- the terrifying nature of the, the, the actor and his performance and more importantly his beheading which was fantastic <laughs> absolutely so yes I do defend this episode and Derek do you defend this episode I absolutely defend this episode this was cool seeing all the hand um, being a major part of this episode but Sawande's scene was absolutely great where he's surrounded by the defenders um, Matt as Daredevil attacking him excellent stuff really enjoyed that the hand can't bring him back now so unfortunately the character's gone we won't see him again in the show um, but also having as Chris mentioned also having all of the supporting characters in one location together and really looking forward to their interactions together in the future episodes so yes I definitely defend this episode and finally John do you defend episode 5 of Defender season 1 take shelter I do defend this episode, and I think in memoriam to Sawande, I'm going to give this four drowning mice out of five. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed the opening uh, preparations for war and all the, the members of the hand, with the exception of Bakuto, coming together to fight the defenders. I thought it was really, really good. Um, and Sawande, absolutely the the capture, the interrogation and his imprisonment there um, was fantastic. A really scary guy. Um, and as you say, uh, it's a shame he's not probably going to come back. He was very, very cool. Um, and I'd love to see him resurrected. Absolutely. Um I think uh, it was really good as well seeing Electra start to grapple with probably the memories um, of, of her previous life um, as Electra Nachos. Mm. Um, and I think as well, just seeing some slight disturbance in, in the collective that is the hand, in particular from Alexandra, kind of really put on a um, a, a bit of a... A course of collision here with um, the the other remaining members of Bakuto Gao and Murakami. Um, I I think it is a really interesting thing, especially when you factor in uh, Electra going off the rails uh, from the perspective of the Hand. Mm-hmm. I I do think that it was absolutely lovely seeing all the supporting characters come together under the watchful eye of Misty Knight. I, I would agree with Chris. It certainly um made the hands job easier but i i, I actually also my my main point uh, i suppose of a, a little niggle is i really want to see the hand um it's great seeing their weakness but i, I want to see them um succeed that there needs to be a few points on their side i mean not necessarily in the grand scheme of things right but i would love to see that some of the defenders are vulnerable to what the hand can do because i have absolutely loved the fighting but i think if it continues where they're continually being beaten back by the defenders with no kind of consequence that for me has little issues mm-hmm. um, to be honest and um, because there's no anxiety in those fights you know that they're going to come out on top and so i'd love to see uh, the hand uh, have a few wins under their belt uh, to be honest uh, because so far the weapon that was promised them in the black sky has failed to deliver as murakami has said and that's an interesting story but i, I would love to see a few victories uh, in, in this uh, little war 
uh, go the way of the hand as much as the way of the defenders. So absolutely, um, I defend this episode. Another three defends. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. I think it's time to get on to some feedback. So starting out with uh, email feedback. Um, remember, you can always email us in at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. Uh, we have some uh, thoughts from 108 Sage. Hello again. It's the 108 Sage again, beaming across the pond from the USA. I just got done watching episode three of The Defenders and listening to your first episode commentary and the past four plus hours of my life have been very well spent indeed. <laughs> Thank you, 108 Sage. Uh, once you've seen episode three and how it ends, you'll see why this seemed a good stopping point. If I was going to get any sleep, uh, but I had to send in a few thoughts on the beginnings of this dreadfully short season of awesomeness. I loved how Daredevil and Jessica Jones meet and Luke Cage and Iron Fist meet. Uh, then conflicted, then each meet up with the other at Midland, then rode the elevator onto Destiny. Uh, insert appropriate fanfare. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I thought that those transitions uh, be- between um, two and three where they, they meet up as couples um, and then finally in Midland uh, they all get together to fight in the boardroom, I thought was excellent. Very um, good. Yeah. Um, one way the stage goes on to say, I loved Claire introducing Luke to Danny and that whole scene. I loved the dressing down Luke gave Danny. That directly addressed a lot of the criticism of how his character was written in his solo show and hopefully began the thread of him recognising not only his resources, but also eventually his privilege. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a really important point to, to bring that to, to the show, I think, because... Um, yeah, Danny of all the four of them is the least street. Um, although it seems as though he's more comfortable, uh, at street level rather than in, um, the, the, the wealth that he has. But then he forgets that he has that as a, as a fallback almost. And um, so it's great for the show to recognize that. One of Sage can, continues, I am eagerly awaiting the first meeting of Misty Knight with both Danny and Colleen. Simone Mystic is absolutely killing it as Misty Knight, and so is Jessica Henwick as Colleen Wing. My most hoped for outcome out of all of this is for them to eventually have a multi-season long show starring those two, hopefully called Daughters of the Dragon. Since Nightwing Restoration's calls to mind multiple characters from the other team. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Daughters of the Dragons kind of spin-off show, um, even maybe with a Heroes for Hire element um, as well, um, could be two really good distinct spin-offs from, from all these shows that uh, Marvel Netflix have done so far. Um, and maybe even combining them at some point to, to fight together. That would be a pretty awesome little uh, avenue for them to, to go down. Finally, um, 108 Sage says, okay, that'll do for now. And since I need to marathon the next five episodes fairly quickly, in addition to watching the last five episodes of the Doctor Who season 10, the last six episodes of Orphan Black season five, and be as current as possible on Game of Thrones, all before... Dragon Con on Labor Day weekend and all that on top of also getting together everything we'll need to demo our game in the miniatures gaming area at the con. Oh, and work and sleep, but who's counting? Enjoy the show. I know I am 108. Thank you so much for the feedback there. Yeah, it's busy, busy, busy. 
uh, at the moment, I think for a lot of people in the defenders community, mm-hmm. um, certainly for, for ourselves thinking that but when we finish the defenders, there will be, um, the Punisher solo outing coming tour in November. Yeah. Most likely. Um, as well as, uh, Thor Ragnarok. Thor Ragnarok. Absolutely. Uh, Doctor Strange making a little appearance there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course we've got, uh, Gotham, the start of season four over on, um, Gotham TV podcast. So yeah, it's all go for a lot of people out there in uh, the Defenders world. Absolutely, and thanks so much for taking the time to write into us. It's really good of you. Yeah. Uh, our next bit of feedback comes from Michael Booth. He goes, hey guys, not sure where you guys are up to, but I'm all done. And one thing that has really struck me throughout the season is the use of mirrors. There are a lot of scenes where a camera is focused on a character in the mirror or dialogue where the second character is in a mirror or where the camera pans off a character onto a mirror. It is particularly prevalent with Alexandra, but happens to a lot of the others as well. Interested to hear if you have noticed it as well and if you have any reflections on what it might be suggesting uh, thematically. Yeah, we certainly have noticed it with Alexandra as well. There's a, a moment where she is... It's like she's getting ready to go out and she's got two um, two assistants helping her kind of get dressed, do her uh, jewellery and, and so on. And she's looking into the mirror. Um, and then after that, there is a moment where her reflection is in a stand-up mirror uh, while she is sat down at the desk after she's cancelled her plans to go and presumably meet um, and confront the defenders at the Royal Dragon. And then finally within that scene, you have a hand mirror on the table where her face is reflected on it. And um, I suppose mirrors traditionally have been used as it is a reflection of that person, maybe the good or the bad, or it's them viewing themselves from outside or of their own body. Yeah. And I think for Alexandra, knowing her current health issues, uh, for one reason, um, that there could be an element that she is seeing herself as more distinct, um, and distant, I suppose, from, from herself because, um, she knows maybe that her time is up if they don't get this substance back and she can't renew herself. Um, it's why uh, she's instructed Gao to bring the timeline forward uh, and all of that. So, I mean, that's certainly one aspect. Um, and it, I think as well, the other type of thing may be down to um, her really sort of reflecting her own personality back on herself. Yeah, I agree. Mirrors are generally seen as kind of a way of the character reflecting on themselves a lot and seeing the true image of themselves. You know, the only way people actually see themselves is in a mirror, which is the opposite version of the way everybody else sees them, which is quite an interesting concept here for these characters. You know, they're, they, they are the villains of the piece. They are the bad guys. And this is the, particularly for Alexandra. She's seen quite a lot herself in the mirror. So Essentially, it's that. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, there's also the notion of being able to pass through the mirror to the world that is behind it. Um, and I think... Uh, oh, like through the looking glass. Yeah, a bit like Alice through the looking glass. Uh, and uh, it, it's that idea, certainly with the hand, I suppose, I suppose that, um, you know, this idea of being reborn in, in a different world in the darkness. Um, and, and it might also, uh, again, no pun intended, reflect on 
that notion of them being reincarnated within this darkness, within this other world or um, other environment that um, is also thematically linked to to that mirror, that other side that they, um, both Alexandra and the rest of the Hand, uh, as well as Electra, seem to have been uh, too. Mm, absolutely. Uh, thanks so much for the feedback, Michael. That's really good of you. Yeah, thanks, Michael, for that. Uh, our next piece of feedback is a piece of voicemail that come in for Claire Payne through our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com. If you want to send in voicemail feedback, just go to the website, as I say, over at DefendersTVPodcast.com, click on the Send Voicemail button, and you can pop in your thoughts about any of the rest of the episodes of the series. Take it away, Claire. Hello, John, Derek and Chris. This episode got off to a good start as soon as I heard the classical overture of Brahms. The royal dragon opening scene starts with an impressive fight between the Hand and our defenders, but the Hand is only there for one person, the Iron Fist. I like how Stick pulls the defenders together, then Matt chooses to move first so he can get Electra on her own. Colleen facing resurrected Bakuto was a really intense scene. I really like the way he tries to get her to rejoin him as his pupil. Thankfully, she refuses. Colleen's tearful conversation with Claire in the police station was an emotional release that she probably needed before realising she is a warrior. I also really like Misty's reaction to Colleen going around wherever sword. A very cool mo- moment when Matt turns up in his daredevil suit to help Jessica and Trish escape a member of the hand. Again, Jessica has a great line in this episode to Daredevil. The scarf looked better. Nice seers. Great to see Madame Gao using her own Iron Fist type skills twice in this episode. So by the end of this episode, a head is lost and the hand has lost a finger. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much, Claire. Yeah, really, really good moments in this episode. Definitely kind of cool to see Madame Gao using her power again. Uh, very similar to Electra's power when she arrived in episode four and blew open the door of the Royal Dragon. It's quite cool. Uh, obviously seeing Daredevil back in his suit, uh, particularly with our quippy Jessica Jones at his side is always, always good fun. Uh, definitely really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, loved the, the scene of, of Daredevil arriving. To help Jessica from Murakami. Yeah, I, I think, uh, it's a, a good little, uh, touch point, I think, between Colleen and, and Misty there. And even with Colleen and, um, Claire Temple, it's good to have, um, those touch points between, um, these leading ladies, um, that are the helping the, the rest of the defenders, definitely. Mm-hmm. It would be really interesting to see Jessica, uh, interact with Claire. Uh, and Misty and Colleen, because I don't think we've really seen that so much at the moment. Um, and I think that would be really interesting because with Jessica, we only really have seen her interact fully with uh, Trish Walker, uh, who obviously was um, and, and is her, her sort of stepsister to her. So it would be really interesting to see how she would play well or, or not with the other three ladies here. Yeah. And certainly given some of their, um, relationships, uh, with, uh, Luke Cage as well. So yeah, I'd like to see that now. 
Yeah. And I think that could prove to be a really interesting dialogue. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully we'll see that coming up. Uh, thanks so much for that, Claire. Um, a bit of feedback from our Facebook group. Uh, again, over on facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV podcast. Uh, start out with Robert Phillips. He says, episode five feels like the beach after a tidal wave has hit. It's scattered with the remnants of the fight and fury. Uh, bits of dangerous litter to be examined and collected. Nothing quite happening, but everyone terrified and grieving and hurt. The opposing cult storylines of Colleen rejecting the hand and standing with Danny against Matt realistically accepting his and becoming DD again, nice ears, were well threaded. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally agree. There's some kind of quite an interesting uh, opposing Definitely. argument here, I suppose, between uh, Colin and Bakuto and then uh, Daredevil finally accepting Stick's offer to go up against the hand, which he was constantly pushing back against in Daredevil season two. Uh, good point, Robert. Um, Robert says the final point the ethnic racial diversity of the show really struck me in this episode with actors and characters of many different heritages coming to the fight on both sides I imagine this is quite a strong message in America at the moment and beyond yeah absolutely I, I think for a lot of the conversation about um, not uh, casting the, the correct person for particular roles um, or the right gender I think actually when you see the whole mix of the defenders together um, in this season, you actually realize that um, maybe some of that criticism is not as well-founded as it, as it could be. Um, okay, there's maybe still be certain particular hang-ups that, that people may have with regards to the, the casting of, of Iron Fist uh, as a white uh, man uh, rather than uh, an Asian man. Um, however, it's not distinct from the original comic basis of that character. So, um, but yeah, you, you see it all together in, in the melting pot, so yeah. to speak. And you realize there is, um, a really good mix in there, I think, yeah, um, which take, is to be applauded. Yeah, you can't really take those things in isolation. Danny Rand on his own does not a show make. Um, you know, we have Colleen Wing, who is absolutely amazing in the show, and it's great to have all of these characters around each other with Misty Knight, with Luke Cage, with Jessica, you know, with everybody involved in the good side of the cast, and then also with Bakudo and Madame Gao and uh, Murakami and Alexandra, all very different uh, people and very different styles. So with all of them working together, the show is hugely diverse uh, as a show. So um, I think it's, they've done a great job. And overall, it's just a really good show. Uh, finally, Robert says, I can't resist two little notes. The color scheme is still really important. Did everyone notice the black and white for Bakuto and Colleen confrontation? Really interesting one. And the one I missed out, good catch here, Robert, I completely forgot to say it on the episode, the red lining on Karen's coat. Karen looks like she shops at the same place as the hand do. Yeah. She's wearing her black coat with the red lining. I remember kind of wondering, is she an undercover hand agent here? Is yeah, it really looks like the dark grey and that kind of real crimson red of the hand, um, definitely. Mm. Um, yeah, maybe... That's one of her secrets that she still hasn't revealed you on never any know. of the shows. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, another bit of feedback from Tina Brown. I have one question I'd love you guys to address. Have they ever spelled out the resurrection rules? Maybe in the comics. I get that they need the special juice or substance, but do they get their old body back like Electra did? Or can they get a new one? Because Alexandra seems to be dying from old age. Bakuto seems kind of young, but Madame Gao is as old as dirt. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> um, it's an interesting one. I reckon now that we've heard the five heretics story, I suspect that was their 
um, their original age uh, when they became the heretics and yeah. used the substance for the first time. So I don't think you can become younger um, and I don't think you necessarily age. I think that is simply that you retain the age that you were uh, at the time of, of their uh, heretical goings-on in, in Conlon. I think with with Alexandra, it's the fact that even though they're resurrected, they're still physical bodies and they can still be killed through decapitation, mm-hmm. uh, it would seem. But that in, in, in the case of Alexandra, the the um, the tumor that ha- has hit her uh, is something that the substance of the juice I love that word the juice the special juice and um, can't prevent as such um, so is it but that's an interesting difference from being killed or has through, been, through violence yes. it's certainly a new element that we get here is that they can potentially contract a disease or 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 um, develop tumors and um, so. That's kind of interesting, but then they would be resurrected again. Yeah, or maybe it's just been keeping them, their bodies preserved for a long time. Perhaps she had this level of health problems and it's just been keeping it at bay and slowing the aging process for a long time. And now it's getting to the point where it can't anymore. So her only opportunity now is to, to get back to Kundun uh, and put an end to her continual aging, I suppose. But it is interesting. If you look at the, yeah, this is them side by side. Bakuto would be uh, a much younger character than uh, Madame Gao, particularly, or Alexandra. So uh, they may have already lived quite a life in Kunlun before they were expelled. So, um, yeah, it is yeah. interesting. Definitely not, um, there's definitely no resurrection rules spelled out in the comic books. Um, effectively, all they've ever said in Marvel comic books is, don't get used to somebody being dead. They most likely will come back. <laughs> Almost yeah. every character has over time. Like the main thing I kind of really want to know now is what the special juice is. I'm assuming it's the chi from Shaolau, the Undying, right. or the the Iron Fist, the Immortal Iron Fist. Um, but then I kind of felt it was kind of a blackness, but that might be the blood. That might be the blood, that yeah. That they feed it. So, and, and just because... Um, as well, Alexandra talks about the darkness and the blackness, yet the chi is so bright and fiery. Um, so it, it, it's, it's kind of interesting that maybe something happens to it, which, which brings it over to the dark side yeah. or, or, or something along those lines. And um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out or if it even does within the defenders. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah John Tara Higley. Um, Gives us some feedback here. He says, okay, bear with me here. This one's a bit of a tangent, but I need answers. And part of the question would be a spoiler elsewhere. So State mentions that the dead guys that the Harlem cleanup crew were getting rid of were the last of the chased. I've been rewatching the Netflix series after finishing The Defenders and Daredevil season one, episode seven ends with Stick talking to Stone, or at least it appears to be Stone and alluding to a greater purpose, bigger wall, all that stuff. So somehow, I don't think Stone would just quietly die off screen, especially with that big of a cliffhanger and them sounding like the chase is quite large. So where is the rest of the chase? Where is Stone? Personally, I'm ready to move on to non-hand-related villains. But the end of that season one Daredevil episode sure as hell seems like it was setting up something bigger. Also, the black sky in that episode... If the Hand had been attempting this and succeeding, Stick mentions that the kid has been brought back and isn't really some innocent kid prior to Electra. 
Why is Electra such a big deal? Why are the other fingers of the hand sceptical of the Black Sky prophecy, of its one they've consistently pursued? Yeah, I mean, I think we had talked about this, that um, that, that line then in Defenders from Stick really seems to suggest that Stone um, has been killed, yet back in Daredevil, as you say, there is that image of him kind of uh, meditating with, I think, incense smoke, and you're thinking, is that in New York or or is it not? It would be good to see Stone ar- arrive or, or be involved, because otherwise, certainly that from Daredevil Season 1 um, is, is a strange kind of reference that is just really there to introduce this idea of a bigger war and a greater purpose rather than being anything uh, meaningful with respect to Stone. So hopefully we see Stone, uh, but I suspect he's dead and buried somewhere, um, to be honest. And I think that the chase have probably been spread too thinly um, in their war against the Hand. It's so... Um, it will be interesting to see if there is any more, but yeah, Stick is fairly confident that the the chase are pretty much over, apart yeah. from himself. Yeah, it seemed like it, and, and you'd think he'd know he's been dealing with them for for quite a long time. So yeah, well, he has died off screen. Um, obviously, when they were writing Daredevil season one, they may have had other plans, and it feels like now that the Defenders is here, this is the big plan. There isn't a. There isn't those other characters available, or those those characters would have been just too com- complex to use, possibly in the show. So, um, so yeah, it looks like they have unfortunately killed him off uh, off screen. He was a big talking point when we got to episode seven of, of season one of Daredevil. Um, in terms of the Black Sky, this feels more like the other members of the Hand don't want to pursue this path. I think we mentioned on this episode, it's more about uh, this is Alexandra's path. And she's the one that's been in charge and she's the one that's been pushing it constantly. So um, it's it's not that they don't believe in it. It's that they don't want to put all their eggs in one basket, which is what Alexandra seems to want to do at this stage. Yeah, absolutely. I think certainly at this moment in time, the Electra um, or the Black Sky has not delivered the Immortal Iron Fist to them um, in, in the way that maybe Alexandra had been promising that, you know, uh, the Black Sky would pop along, grab the Iron Fist, and at this stage, uh, the Black Sky hasn't delivered. So their their confidence in that prophecy may be starting to wane. Uh, as Derek says, not that they don't believe in it, but whether then Electra is the true uh, Black Sky. It's it's an interesting one. It'll be interesting to see how Electra continues here because. She has seemingly been pretty ineffective. And I think I can understand why Murakami and Gao are starting to question it and say mm-hmm. that we need alternative ways of, of dealing and, and getting this, this gate unlocked uh, underneath New York and, and trying to get the Iron Fist. Absolutely. Thanks so much for that, John Tara Higley. Yeah, thanks so much, John Tara. Yeah, and finally, um, Conor Stevens... Um, Ronaldo and Louis Jesus uh, come in with some feedback here as well. Conman says, I loved Colleen's moment of weakness here. Made her feel so real a character. All characters are so well played. Who wouldn't bawl their eyes out in a situation if they weren't an emotionally stunted monk guy with incredible powers, an unhinged blind vigilante, a bulletproof man, or a PTSD adult alcoholic? My only problem is this does seem like the shafting of Colleen. I really do hope she has 
a big moment before this series ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does certainly feel like Colleen is being sidelined now that Danny's got his bigger, better friends uh, on the scene. And I really hope that he stands by uh, his woman. Um, she has seen his nipples after all. So um, <laughs> I think she deserves that, definitely. Uh, Ronaldo goes on to say, I like Alexandra because it's becoming quite apparent she has a flaw akin to Mr. White in Reservoir Dogs. Her own trust and desire for a daughter blinds her to the fact that she's putting the others in real jeopardy. I love the flawed characters. Gao is also top-notch, but I do like seeing Bakuto back. He's very confident and measured. Love to hate him. I found the final scene also very powerful. Seeing Electra curl up in Daredevil's bed had me going, ah, in my head. Elodie is really playing out of her skin in this series. Coming out of the urn of blood would have been a challenge, but balancing the cold killer with recovering amnesiac has been done very well so far. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Totally agree, Ronaldo. Some great moments in these scenes. Interesting point about, uh, about it possibly being similar to Mr. White and Reservoir Dog, who effectively his downfall was because of his trust um, in one of the other characters. That's a really interesting point about Alexandra. And finally, Luigi also says, I do love Alexandra. She's an awesome addition to the show. However, I can't help it. Madame Gao still wins my favourite overall. I just cannot get enough of watching her on screen. So far, in my opinion, she still steals the show as of all of the villains. Completely agree. Um, I am Madame Gao fan. Definitely. I reckon she will outlast them all, with maybe the exception of Murakami. Maybe. Um, I think those two may survive As the new leaders of the hand. Very cool. Very cool. Thanks so much for all the feedback. Yeah, thank you so much for the feedback, and keep it coming in, guys. As we've said earlier on in the episode... If you do send in feedback to us, either through our Facebook group over at facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV podcast or through email at feedback at Defenders TV podcast.com or, of course, through voicemail over at Defenders TV podcast.com, you'll be entered into our draw for our Defenders prize pack, which we're getting together at the moment. It includes the first three issues of the Defenders comic book and some other cool little goodies as well. Um, Love hearing from you, obviously, and love hearing your thoughts about the episodes. Yeah, and of course, please uh, head on over and subscribe to uh, our podcast, either over at Apple Podcasts, just go through DefendersTVPodcast.com forward slash iTunes, or you can search Defenders TV Podcast on any other good podcast catcher. And if you're enjoying it, please um, share the episodes, share the love of the podcast, as well as if you want to, you can write a reviews to let us know uh, how you think uh, we are doing. Uh, as always, it has been a pleasure speaking with you, and we will speak with you again next time. Yep, thanks so much for joining us for this episode. Next episode, we'll be back for episode six of The Defenders, Ashes, Ashes. That'll be available through, obviously, all good podcast platforms, so make sure you subscribe to us there. Thanks for spending time with us, fellow Defenders. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Ta-ta for now. Absolutely. Uh, We'll speak with you next time, fellow defenders. Bye. Bye.